Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. Have you ever seen this picture before? Not this particular one. Have you ever seen that in your house? If you've got more than one child, you have probably heard one of the other children say, well, that's just not fair. If you've got a brother or sister, they may have been saying it about you, (laughs) or maybe you're the one saying it about somebody else. It's just not fair. You just kind of, your feelings are hurt. It's just not fair. You're, You're splitting a piece of pie. Have you figured out that if you're the one splitting the pie, you can split it in your favor? Until you invoke the Midkiff rule. I stayed with this family called the Midkiffs one time. They had this rule, and I've heard others use it. Whoever slices the piece, the other person gets to pick their piece. That makes you a better slicer. You're going to try to get it exactly right because you want to make sure you get just as much as they do because... It's just not fair. The title of the message is Salvation is Not Fair. What do I mean by that? I mean this. If we got what we deserved, it would not be salvation. If we got what we deserved, it would be separation from God for eternity. It's not fair. The Bible says that the penalty, the wages of sin is death. We deserve that. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's really not fair. You're not going to face God someday and say, give me what's fair. Because what God offers is something that's not fair. Matthew chapter 20. Let me begin reading in verse 1 and then give you a little context. Verse 1, Matthew 20. Jesus tells a parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they had received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. When he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first, 
and the first last. First point is, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. It's not the first time in Matthew's Gospel that he's done this. He tells a story to illustrate something of heaven. He uses something familiar to illustrate and explain something unfamiliar. And you've done that. One of the lines in our, with our family when our kids were a lot younger is, if we wanted them to experience something that we knew they were going to enjoy, we would say this, if you had never had a chocolate chip cookie, wouldn't you want us to tell you how good it is? Now, it could be a ride at Disney World that we knew they would enjoy, but they were a little afraid to get through the line and get on the ride, not knowing what to expect. So we'd say, this is just, this is just like if, we had ne- if you'd never had a chocolate chip cookie. Wouldn't you want to know how good it was? Or maybe it was something you wanted them to try to eat. It's basically what a parable is, and you've heard this before, it's a heavenly story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It literally means putting two things beside each other. One thing that's familiar, put alongside something that's not familiar to try to illustrate the truth of this that's unfamiliar. So that's what Jesus does. And Jesus has told them about the kingdom of heaven before. He's used other parables to illustrate that. But coming off the last two conversations, Jesus recognizes these guys still don't get it. The two conversations are this. They've just had this encounter with the rich young ruler. And in the disciples' mind, they were raised with this Jewish concept that if you were wealthy, the reason you were wealthy is because God had blessed you and you must be okay with God. And so when Jesus said how hard it is for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven, the disciples are puzzled by that. And then Peter actually comes to Jesus second conversation, and says, we've left everything to follow you. Basically, what's in it for us? And so Jesus brings us to another parable in Matthew 20 to say, here's what you need to know about the kingdom of heaven. This is a familiar phrase in Matthew's gospel. It's talking about the royalty, the rule, the realm of God. Now, These were people who were living under the rule of Rome. And so they knew about kings. They knew about kingdoms. People in authority. And Jesus is saying, you need to take a look at what you're living under, but understand God has a kingdom that's not of this world. It's a kingdom that's here, but it's also a kingdom that is coming. And so he tells a story. Landowner goes out early. Six o'clock in the morning. Sun's just come up. He needs help in his vineyard. Now, this landowner would have been a house owner. He would have had servants in his house, but there weren't enough of them to take care of whatever he needed in the vineyard. And and if you were going to plant a vine, you had to go into a field, and the first thing in Israel you've got to do is get rid of a bunch of rocks. So you walk through and pick up rocks. You put them at the edge of the field, and they're going to either form a terrace for you or they're going to form a fence around your vineyard. Then you've got to cultivate. You've got to plow it up. You've got to get it where the ground can receive the vines that are going to be planted. Then once the vines start growing, those vines have to be dressed. They've got to be pruned. And ultimately, they've got to be harvested. So it probably wasn't just once a year. It was several times throughout the year. 
a landowner would have to go into town to the marketplace and there would be workers waiting for work. These were typically the lower skilled and certainly the lower paid segments of society. So he goes into town, 6 o'clock in the morning. There's already people there. We need a job for the day. And I think every time the landowner goes, I think he hires everybody he sees. So he hires these and he makes an agreement, a specific agreement with this group only. He makes an agreement, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which was a day's wage for a Roman soldier. These weren't Roman soldiers. These were unskilled workers. These were people who didn't have a regular job. They were maybe one step ahead of a beggar because at least they were physically able to do work. And so the landowner's already being generous with them. In fact, the word denarius literally means ten donkeys. So apparently when the word first came out, you could still buy ten donkeys with a denarius. That's a pretty good day's wage. They're going to work from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night and get paid a denarius. So they go willfully. They go joyfully. Probably telling each other, can you believe what we're getting paid today? We're going to work in this guy's vineyard. We're going to have enough not just to last us tonight, but we're going to be able to feed our family for a while. So the agreement is made. In fact, the word agreement literally means to be in unison. It's where we get the word symphony is the Greek word. So they're out working in the vineyard. He goes out the third hour, 9 o'clock in the morning. Doesn't have enough workers. Either that or he just wants to be generous. He's like, I've got work. I'm going to hire as many people as I can. So he goes out at 9 o'clock. And here's the agreement he makes with these people. I'm going to pay you whatever's right. And perhaps they knew this guy. It was a family-type village. And they knew this guy's going to treat us fair. They didn't strike an accord for what it was going to be. It wasn't a denarius. It was just whatever's right. So he does that at 9 o'clock, and then at noon and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, does the same thing. So apparently he goes back out and says the same thing. Hey, come work. Whatever's right. At the end of the day, I'll pay you. Then we get to this last group at the 11th hour, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, it doesn't say this about the earlier workers. The ones hired at 9, noon, and 3. Jesus finds them unemployed, but maybe they had already had a job that only lasted an hour or two. And so they're back in the marketplace. But this group at 5 o'clock, Jesus says, or not Jesus, the landowner says, why have you been standing idle all day? Well, because nobody's hired us. They're still there at 5 o'clock at night hoping for one hour of work. And so the landowner sends them into the vineyard. So you get the story. This is the story Jesus is telling. Why is he telling the story? To illustrate principles about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted these disciples who had been walking with him for three years, who had heard him teach, seen him perform miracles, and they don't recognize this. They don't understand this, but it's getting toward the end of that ministry. It's getting toward the end of Jesus' life. He's heading ultimately right after this to Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So he wants them to understand the kingdom of heaven. And he wants them to understand it coming off this teaching about the rich young ruler and this teaching of, hey, what's in it for us? We've left everything. So He says, I want you to get a picture of God, the Father, and his kingdom. So he tells a story of a landowner. I don't know if you've recognized it yet, but the landowner, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. The landowner is God the Father. The foreman who's going to pay off the workers is Jesus. The laborers are believers. 
A denarius is eternal life. The workday is a believer's lifetime, and evening is eternity. So that's the story. Now comes the payment. Grace is extended. Evening came. It was required in the Jewish law. In fact, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 says this. It says, You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are, are not to remain with you all night until morning. What's that saying? Back in the Levitical law, if you hired somebody for the day, you paid them that night. And the reason you paid them that night was very practical. Their family needed to eat. And so these guys have worked some all day, some since 9 o'clock, some since noon, some since 3, some since 5. Now it's 6 o'clock. The landowner calls his foreman and said, all right, let's pay up. But here's how I want you to pay up. I want you to bring in the ones hired last and pay them first. Why? Because the landowner wanted to see, wanted the others who've been working all day to see what each hired after them was going to get paid. And so, these hired and only worked an hour got a denarius. A day's wage for a Roman soldier. You could buy ten donkeys. <laughs> now put yourself in those that have been working all day. What are you thinking at this point? You know what I'd be thinking? We're going to get a lot more than that. In fact, if you do the math, maybe you think, maybe we're going to get 12 denarius. They've worked an hour. This guy's given them a denarius for one hour. How much is he going to give us that have worked a lot longer? In some cases, 12 hours. So he did this with each group. When it comes to the last group, and maybe the reality was starting to set in for them, wait a minute, he, he's given everybody a denarius. And then when he gives the last group a denarius... What he agreed to give them, but he gives them a denarius. It said they grumbled at the landowner. They grumbled. Literally, they started muttering, speaking under their breath, speaking to one another. Can you believe this? And then they speak out loud. These last men have only worked an hour. You've made them equal to us. You see where jealousy starts coming in there? Envy? You've made them equal to us. This isn't equal pay for equal work. You've raised us all to the same level. You see, the Pharisees have been murmuring the whole time Jesus had been teaching over the fact that he treated tax collectors and prostitutes just like he treated everybody. He made them equal. In fact, the prodigal son was a great story. The jealousy of the older brother who had had all the benefit of the father's household, but when the prodigal returned, what do they do? Put shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, a robe on his back. And what does the older brother do? He gets ticked off because you've restored him to equality with me. And he's envious, he's jealous. And that's exactly what Jesus confronts them over. He says, friend. So apparently one of them's doing the speaking for him. He addresses this one as friend. It's interesting. He uses this phrase three times in the book of Matthew. And every time is to address somebody who's doing something wrong. Friend, did you not agree with me for a denarius? The landowner 
said, have I not done exactly what I told you I would do? I haven't lied to anybody. I haven't misled anybody. I told the other groups that I'd give them whatever's right, and I'm giving them more than what's right. This last group, I didn't even make a deal with them. I just told them to go work for an hour. And they just hoped that it would be enough maybe to buy something for the evening meal. Take what is yours and go. If I wish to give to this last man the same as you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own? Is your eye envious because you are because I am generous? What, what are these guys saying? They're really saying, we deserve more. And we're back to that word deserve. Do you really want to face God, the Father, and get what you deserve? Now, this principle applied is, Jesus is telling about the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be people who come to Christ early in life, who walk with Christ faithfully, serve Him faithfully. What do they get? They get eternal life. What about the guy who trusts Christ on his deathbed? He gets eternal life. So are these other people to be envious? What about the thief on the cross? This guy was a thief. He was a criminal. He deserved what he was getting on the cross. And what does Jesus offer? Today you will be with me in paradise. See, that's what grace is. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. We struggle with that in our culture for this reason. We feel like if I do more, I'll get more. And there are rewards talked about in Scripture. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about salvation, not rewards. But are you going to be envious if you've served God your whole life, it seems like, and somebody at the end of their life trusts Christ as their Savior, who you look at it and say, they didn't deserve that. Well, guess what? You don't deserve it either. That's why it's called grace. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. What does that mean? If we could claim credit for it, what would we do? It would be all about us. Look at me. Look what I've done. So the landowner recognizes they're envious. So he says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Does that not go against everything in our culture? Have you ever been at the airport waiting to get on an airplane? When they start making the announcement that they're going to start in a few minutes boarding the plane, what do people do? It's like, this is the last flight out of Vietnam. You better get on this plane. And why is that? Because we're looking out for ourselves. We don't understand the last should be first and the first should be last. We just understand I'm getting on that plane whether anybody else gets on there or not. Because it's all about us. So what Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of heaven to understand the last should be first, the first should be last is, listen, if you think too much of yourself, you still need to come under the authority of God and be humble to understand you don't deserve what you've got. And then just to make it real clear, 
these last three verses. I think if you don't hear these three verses, we kind of miss the point of the first few. Let, let me read 17 through 19. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Jesus has just taught them the truth about the kingdom of heaven. That grace is extended, but folks, grace is costly. What does grace cost you? Nothing. It's a gift. Do we understand gift? We struggle with that in our culture. Why? Even at Christmas time, it's hard to receive a gift. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Most of us would sometimes rather give than receive. But have you ever bought somebody something because you knew they were going to buy you something? Wouldn't it be better if we just made a deal? Hey, don't buy me anything. I won't buy you anything. I, I love it. Stuff at the beach. Free. With a purchase of three ninety nine. That's not free. You don't understand free if it costs you something. I, I've shared this before. I won't tell you the names, but there's two donut places in our town. One that at least once a year gives you a free donut. You know what you have to do for that donut? Nothing. You just go and say, give me my free donut. You don't have to buy a coffee, a drink, anything. Just give me my donut. The other one says, free donut for the purchase of a small drink. So if a donut cost you two bucks, it wasn't free. Here's the difference in God's economy. Grace costs you nothing. Look what it cost Jesus. Jesus has been in the region of Galilee. They're heading up now to Jerusalem. What's about to happen in Jerusalem? Well, he's about to tell them. This will be the third time that Jesus tells them, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to raise from the dead. Folks, the disciples never heard part two. All they're hearing is he's going to be crucified. And they tried to do things like, no, Jesus, that's not the way we're going to do this. And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, because you're not speaking on God's behalf, you're speaking on Satan's behalf. And every time he tells them, and this time in particular, he gives them a little more detail. So look what he says. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. The cool thing about the Holy Land is if you go to Jerusalem, it doesn't matter which direction you're coming from, you've got to go up. It's pretty incredible, especially coming from the region of the Galilee. You'd have to cross through the desert near the Dead Sea. And it's just straight up. It would take about a week to walk from Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, up to Jerusalem. And they would walk in groups, families and tr fellow travelers. And why were they going to Jerusalem? The Passover. So Jesus had been there before. On these high holy days, you went. So they're on their way. In fact, it's really cool in the Psalms. I've been reading these this past week or so in the Psalms 120s. And so it's called Songs of Ascent. It meant these were Psalms. These were songs the Jewish people would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. So they're probably traveling in a crowd. And Jesus calls the disciples apart to himself. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. 
and the Son of Man, this is a phrase used 80 times in the New Testament and about 30 times in the book of Matthew, referring to himself, the Son of Man will be first delivered. Literally handed over, surrendered, yielded up to the chief priests and scribes. Here's what that's going to look like. Jesus is going to have this last moment with his disciples, the last supper. They're still kind of arguing over which one of them was going to be the greatest, and Jesus washes their feet. And then he passes out the bread and the wine, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. And he's told them, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to hand me over. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks God, "Is the Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. So Judas is going to lead a team of chief priests and scribes with torches and swords. And Judas is going to walk up and kiss Jesus. That's going to be the sign. This is Jesus. So Jesus is telling his disciples, this is what's about to happen. Grace is free, but here's what it's going to cost me. I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priest. This was passed down from father to son, hereditary, secession. One of these group would be the high priest that year. And then the scribes. These were the lawyers. These were the learned men who knew the Old Testament, especially the law. Jesus is going to be handed over to them. And they will condemn him to death. Now, the chief priests, the scribes, could not carry out the execution, but they had enough in their mind to put Jesus to death. So they have to involve the Gentiles. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. So they're going to take Jesus Christ and hand him over to godless, pagan, heathen Gentiles. For one reason. The Jews didn't like these people. But they had to get them to help them because they wanted Jesus to be crucified. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to mock him. They're going to make fun of Jesus. Even the conversation that Jesus has with Pilate. The soldiers were going to blindfold him. According to Isaiah, they pulled his beard. They spit on him. They hit him and said, why don't you prophesy? Tell us who it is that's hitting you. After he is scourged, beaten with these leather strips and a whip that had sharp bones and metal pieces in it that would literally rip the flesh off of his body. They were going to put another robe on him and a crown of thorns. They mocked him. They scourged him, and then they would crucify him. In fact, even when Jesus Christ is dying on the cross, the mocking continues. One of the thieves dying on the cross beside him mocks him. The crowd walking by mocks him. If you really are the Son of God, why don't you come down off the cross? Prove it. The pain that Jesus experienced at the cross was unbelievable. He's going to experience the disloyalty of his closest followers. Peter's going to deny even knowing him. Not once, but three times. The pain in the garden where it says he literally swept drops of blood. His arrest and trial, which was a farce. 
He's mocked, beaten, crucified, and even on the cross, he's going to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus sensed God couldn't look on the sin that was there. That's what it cost. So here's the good news of the message. The landowner's gone out to bring workers into the vineyard. If you're a child of God, it's because at some point in your life you've responded to God in that offer. Come into the vineyard. If you're here today and you've never done that, today could be the day of your salvation. It may be the 11th hour. But the offer of grace is still there. And understand, even though grace is free to you, it costs Jesus His life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, we struggle understanding that, Lord. We struggle understanding a free gift, and yet that's what grace is. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, they would understand the offer of eternal life, the offer of grace is being made by you today. May we trust you as our Lord and Savior. And God, for the rest of us that have walked with you for a while, God, may we never take grace for granted. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.